this church had played a really big part in God's uh, preparing me and sending me to the mission field. Now, as you know, someone married, no kids, going back not just on a short-term trip to this time, but really looking to return to Japan long-term. And uh, for some of you who may not be as familiar um, with me and my wife, Kiki, um, our boys, Judah and Nemo, and we have one more on the way, uh, I just wanted to share real briefly about why Japan. That's a question everybody always asks. You know, my Westerlo is not the big city, and my wife grew up in uh, Monroe, Maine, which is also not the big city. So why go to one of the biggest cities in the entire world, and how does that happen? And really, there's a lot of reasons why we want to go to Japan. But at, at the deepest part of it is really how great the news is in Japan. And Japan is extremely technologically advanced. They have a rich culture. The people are wonderful. The countryside is beautiful. The cities are amazing, almost overwhelming. And I always thought, these people must have access to the gospel. There's probably lots of believers there. And the reality is, is Japan is one of the least reached people groups in the entire world. If we could cram a thousand Japanese people into this room and then said, how many of you are Christians? Around five would raise their hands out of that thousand people. So it's an almost entirely unreached people group. There's never been this great revival in Japan. The church in Japan is actually shrinking. Age of a pastor is over the age of 70. I was talking with a church leader there earlier this year, and he was saying he, he does a lot of work in media. He said, I'd really like to start producing resources because the reality is, in the next 10 years, most churches will lose their pastor as he's dying of old age. And in Japan, when a pastor dies, no one takes their place. Uh, there's just not enough uh, leadership in Japan. So God has really put it on our hearts to go and be a part of bringing the gospel to the Japanese people alongside the Japanese church. And we really want to encourage believers there. We want to join with the local church and be a part of the work that God is doing. So I've been to Japan uh, 2010 to 2011, 2015. I've done this trip here four times now on short-term trips. And I've worked with the same local church every time, Sendokan Christian Church. And my wife's been with me a few of those times. Our son Judah actually came when he was seven months old. And uh, after those short-term trips, we said, we really see God calling us to come here long-term. This is really where we want to spend the rest of our lives. So we plan to go to Japan this time until God calls us home to him or calls us home to himself. And we're really excited about that. We've been raising support for about two years now. And this church has been a big supporter the whole way through from my first short-term trip back in 2010 and now as a uh, supporting church on a regular basis providing for us as well as we can here. Uh, it's been really challenging, and we've been at support raising for a little over two years now, and we've seen God steadily building that support. But we would have loved to have just, you know, been there already. Uh, but we can see that God is really growing us and maturing us and of moving towards Japan, we really can see how God has equipped us more and more, more than we even had before. And also, we can see that it hasn't been just a period of waiting. We've been able to be members of a local church, uh, first in Pennsylvania, where we first got married, and then now uh, up in Maine. We've been able to use our gifts and abilities to invest in reaching the people of America, for one. 
words that like initially feel wrong. And we're excited for the work that God has for us in his hand. We're also learning to, to really trust his timing and not just wait until that moment to use the gift he's given us. We went to Japan in uh, January for about, I went for three weeks. Kiki went for ten days because we left our boys with her. And so we could only be away from them for so long. That was a little too long for Kiki's family. Um, but that trip was really the reconnect with the church in Japan. We connected with leadership there. We also connected with other missionaries and pastors around the city of Tokyo. And we scoped out apartments and figured out where our kids would go to school and all kinds of things like that. Just what is it going to look like for us to move here and live here? And so I was really hoping to be in Japan the beginning of next year. Um, we have a baby due in October, and so that's part of the timeline of what we need to wait on. We're also in the process of raising support. So right now, we're at uh, around 70% of our startup budget. So those funds, the one-time uh, funds, it's really incredible how much that's helped. Excited, seeing how God is preparing us and providing, and also seeing that He's bringing people around us, churches and individuals that are saying, We really want to be a part of the work that God is doing in this world. It's really exciting seeing people say, We're praying for you, we're praying for the people of Japan all the time. And it's really encouraging when we went to Japan and shared it with the church there. They're encouraged because the church in Japan is overwhelmed. They look at you know 127 million people. Less than 600,000 people confessing faith in Christ. They really want to help us out there. And they really want the prayers of God's people around the world. They really want the, the church to send um, more workers. And so we're excited. We always ask the question do they still want us? Will they still pray for us? And every time we go, they say, Yes, please come soon and come and put some prayer. Um, they're coming down to Spain to put our church in the same place. Uh, so that's kind of where we're at. We're really we're excited, but we're also waiting because we really are waiting on God's provision and His timing. We've been busy speaking at churches just about every other week throughout this summer and spring, and we've had um, several churches join our uh, partner with help financially, and we have several more that are considering partnerships possibly in the near future. We just ask a few things that you can be praying for us about. One is is for God to continue to stir up people's hearts individuals and churches, that God would stir people up to be really passionate about reaching the Japanese people of Uganda. The Apostle John, in writing his ways in 1 John, says, anytime you support someone called out to the church of the living God, you become fellow workers with them in this ministry. And he's saying that anytime that you pray for or support in any way, financially or in any other way, the 
people who are going away as missionaries, you're actually working alongside of them. And then you have people again come up to you and go, thank you so much for being a part of bringing the gospel to me. You say, I, I have never met you before in my life. You say, you were a part of me hearing the gospel for the very first time. And so just pray that God would stir up other people's hearts to be partners with us in ministry. And then pray for our family. We're on the road often. And we have two little boys. Usually that is four and most two. And they are wonderful. And they travel well. But there's so much inconsistency in our lives. And it's, it's, it's really challenging for kids. And, you know, figuring out schooling for our boys and other things like that. And just providing consistency while we don't have a definite target date of when we're going to meet. Because we have to reach across the globe. Just all of these things. Pray that we would be really healthy also, Maine is a really unresparty and unstate, and we're traveling to churches all over the state, encouraging them to reach the people in their community with the gospel. Pray that God would help us to be an encouragement and a blessing while we're here. We aren't just waiting for the people to come before we can be baptized. We're a part of it right now. And pray that God would use us to be a blessing and encouragement. I wanted this morning to uh, share with you a sermon from a passage that's really been a big encouragement and teaching uh, in this season. And uh, our church recently uh, went through the book of Genesis, and I'm a regular part of its teaching uh, teaching schedule at our church. And so I was able to preach a few times from Genesis. And we found the life of Joseph to just be really encouraging and helpful in a season of a lot of transition and waiting on God. And um, I'm hopeful that understand the richness of your love for us, to understand the richness of your powerful working in human history and in our history today. Help us to see um, what a good and loving God you are and how rich and blessed we are to have fellowship with you. And we pray that you'd stir our hearts up to be encouraged and boldened and convicted to share our faith with those around us, to love others well, to bear one another's burdens. Pray that I would preach clearly and accurately your word, and that you would help us to see how it really connects with our lives here today. Thank you that we are not called to this work alone, but that your spirit works in us and through us, and that we have the privilege of being your witnesses and of making disciples by your power working through us. We pray your blessing on the time together this morning. Jesus.
Joseph was in a difficult and dark place, the passage provides us with a powerful picture of God's faithful presence, love, provision, and call in the midst of the life of the believer. You may know that Joseph, the great-grandson of Abraham, went from being the favored child of his father, Jacob, to being sold for the meager price of a slave by his own brothers into the foreign land of Egypt, far from any longer any favored man. And although God's work through him led to him being elevated to the highest position in his master Potiphar's house, he was unjustly accused of trying to have an affair with Potiphar's wife and consequently thrown into prison. My hope is that this morning I can pull you into the deep struggle that Joseph faced so that you can appreciate the faithfulness of God through not only Joseph's trials, but through our own as well. Let's read the passage together, beginning in verse 19 of Genesis chapter 39. When his master heard the story, he was told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt Offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with those two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. After they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected, so he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in his master's house, Why are your faces so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there was no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell your dreams. Tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, In my dream, I saw a vine budding, and on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed, and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and put the cup in his hand. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison, for I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favorable interpretation, he said to Joseph, I too had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread. In the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is what it means. Three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and hang you on a tree. 
commission at the head with the chief cupbearer, the chief baker, and the presence of the chief bishop. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position, so that he once again put the cup in the Pharaoh's hand. But he patted the chief baker, just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. While we often refer to this scripture as the story of Joseph, it's important to recognize this, this is not just a story, but it is history. History is being a chronicle of significant events that have occurred in the past. However, I don't think Joseph would have thought of these events as being really significant until much later afterwards. For him, a young man, this is Joseph's biography, a story of a very real and very difficult time in his life. We have the privilege of seeing it through from the beginning to the end, that Joseph had to live day circumstances that Joseph is facing and will hopefully help us better appreciate how hard it must have been for him to keep trusting God in each day that sustained him. Back in chapter 37 of Genesis, we learn that Joseph had two dreams. Both of these dreams involved his family members bowing down to him, and it was clear to everyone present what these dreams meant. Scripture makes it clear that these were not just ordinary dreams, but rather were sent by God foreshadow Joseph's position as the ruler of Egypt. No doubt these dreams would have weighed heavy in Joseph's mind as we read that they did in his father's mind. God had revealed to Joseph the plans that he had for him, but everything leading up to this point in Joseph's life where we're reading today seems to indicate otherwise. Certainly the direction of Joseph being elevated above his brothers couldn't be accomplished by him being dragged through such humiliating and painful circumstances. At the time that God revealed his plans through dreams to Joseph to make him a ruler of Egypt, he was the favorite son of his father, passed in his household under his father. Now Joseph has been stripped of his lavish clothes, nearly killed, and sold for the price of a slave by his own brothers. Once the favorite son of one of the most powerful men in all of the land of Canaan, and now he's been valued among livestock, spices, should seem to the echoes of another favorite son, who would one day not by compulsion, but willingly leave his throne and step humbly down into the darkness to suffer so that others might live and his father's will might be accomplished. This is and always has been the plan of God. At least there was a bright spot for Joseph in being dragged from his home and everything he knew to a foreign land. At least he'd been brought to where slaves were slavery, he could hope for a decent life, though far from a life of his own. Despite this hardship and suffering, God had not forgotten Joseph. But rather, he was weaving together his master plan through people's sinful actions. The men and women in Joseph's life provide the coarse thread of this seemingly dark tapestry. But all the while, God is using them to contrast and show the beauty and wonder in the midst of this suffering, 
the head of the house, not his father's house, but this time the head of Potiphar's house, the powerful man that he was in Egypt. We see that Joseph's faith was unwavering and strong despite his terrible position. We know from Scripture that the life of the believer produces fruit in keeping with righteousness. And so Joseph's faithfulness was seen in his unwillingness to yield to a powerful woman for ransom. But again, Sure as God's plan was for Joseph. 
Joseph. Again, we can learn from God's love towards Joseph. 
present. I mean, it's not only present in our afflictions, but faithful to love us there. His continuous love toward us in the midst of afflictions is a comfort that enables us to continue to love others despite our own suffering. This brings us to the faithfulness of Joseph in the midst of his adversity. Clearly, he was a wise steward as the warden of the jail, and Potiphar both put him over everything they were in charge of. What would wisdom and faithfulness look like in prison? We're given very little detail about Joseph's time in prison, but we do learn a lot from the small glimpse we get from today's passage. What I want us to notice first about this passage is how Joseph treats these two men that he has been given charge over. In verses 5 through 7 of chapter 40, we read, Each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the city of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him, and his master's house, Why are your faces so sad today? And it may seem like a really small detail that Joseph noticed that these men's faces were sad, dejected, that they were downcast. But we see here not only the faithfulness of Joseph in carrying out his everyday duties of the prison, but that he was involved in the lives of those that he was given charge of. This was not a glorious position, chief prisoner. Probably not something you write home about. However, it was a position that Joseph used for the glory of God to love others and to make God seen. Again, as Paul said to the Philippians, my imprisonment has actually worked out for the furtherance of the gospel. Likewise, Joseph continued to live the same faithfulness in prison, even in the smallest things. These men were sad, and he took the time to ask them what was wrong and to offer help. I say this is significant because I think that we miss countless opportunities to bring light and love into the lives of others on account of not wanting to go through the trouble or not thinking we can feel. How often do we ignore another person who looks dejected or downcast or sad? How often would we rather pretend that we don't notice them? How often do we give in to the fear of sounding awkward at the expense of ignoring those who are in need? What might happen if we were to offer ourselves in such a small thing as Joseph did? Sincerely ask him what's wrong. Joseph is incredibly powerful to me, largely because so much of his faithfulness is in the very ordinary things of life. Yeah, he interprets dreams, but many of the years he spent in Egypt were not in glorious positions, but in simple ones, even humiliating ones. Most of his days were not spent interpreting dreams, but serving as a manager. I think that we can find incredible challenge and encouragement in Joseph's life in seeing that he chose to live faithfully in the simple things. And God did incredible things through his simple faithfulness. Keep in mind that Joseph had no idea that this act of kindness would in fact be the doorway to the fulfillment of God's already revealed plan for him. Him being freed from prison and put in an elevated position. Likewise, we never know how incredibly significant and important even the smallest opportunity may be in the plans of God in our lives and the lives of others. 
second thing about Joseph's actions we should notice here is that he immediately attributes glory to God rather than trying to steal it for himself. Well, he offers to interpret dreams for them. In verse 8, he says, Do not interpretations belong to God? Please, tell them to me. It can be tempting to use the very gifts that God has given us to lead others to him, to encourage others, and to bring God glory, to draw attention to ourselves. I know I struggle with that temptation. I want people to like me. And this is, Oswald Chambers says, this is us using the very gifts of God to wage war against God and trying to win people's affections to ourselves rather than to Him. Despite God's revealed plans to glorify Joseph in the future, like Christ, Joseph does not grasp at his future position, but rather waits for God Himself to glorify Him. We need to consistently pray that God will help us also to humbly use the gifts, abilities, talents, and everything else that God has given us to lift up His name rather than our own. After all, this is what the Apostle Paul had to write to church at Corinth about. They were using the spiritual gifts God had given them to build up the body of Christ. Instead of using them for that purpose, they were using them to make themselves look better than each other, to have a competition and to draw affection and attention to themselves. This is what Paul corrects largely in 1 Corinthians. But this doesn't just apply to spiritual gifts. Every talent, experience, ability, skill, etc. has been entrusted to us by God to be used for His kingdom his glory, not ours. We see in verses 14 through 15 that Joseph recognizes that this situation may in fact be a means for him to finally escape this unjust imprisonment. In verse 14 we read, Joseph says this to the uh, chief cupbearer, but when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. Despite this glimmer of hope, Joseph says, maybe this is maybe this is my way out. And Joseph is even accurate in recognizing God's means of provision. But Joseph's timing and God's timing are not the same. Joseph hoped to be out of prison in a few days, a few weeks. But the close of the chapter and the opening of the next reveals that the days turned into weeks, turned into months, turned into two full years. In many ways, it may have been much harder to be given a glimmer of hope and to have it crushed than if things had just continued as they were. Like sailors at sea in the midst of a great storm who look up and see the clouds part and the sun come breaking through only moments later to be shrouded again by So Joseph's hopes were not to be realized as he thought, at least not yet. But then again, God's plan was not thwarted, nor was it even delayed, not even a day. His plans were much bigger than just the plan that Joseph conceived. God's plans for Joseph were much bigger than Joseph could have ever imagined. And God's plans were not just for Joseph. Even for us today, if you're blessed.
mentioned all of the other nations as well. And still today, we learn from the life of Joseph. As I mentioned, this is just a biography of a young man who exercised simple faithfulness and trust in God, but through whom God did incredible things. He knows hours upon days, upon weeks, months, and years in prison. Joseph was living between the already promised and revealed plan of God and their fulfillment. We, like Joseph, find ourselves living in between the revealed promises of God and their future fulfillment as well. There are six dreams in the life of Joseph, occurring in groups of two. All six dreams foreshadow future events that had not yet come to pass. And every dream is fulfilled in precise detail, just as God had revealed. Likewise, every promise and plan of God will be fulfilled. It is hard to wait for his timing, but he is always faithful. Like Joseph, we often long for freedom from our circumstances much sooner than it is God's plan to carry it out. We need to realize that we are actually part of the same story as Joseph is, God's redemptive plan throughout human history. As I mentioned, this is a biography of Joseph, son of Jacob, great-grandson of Abraham. It was here, in ordinary life, that God did extraordinary things through Joseph's simple faithfulness as a slave, manager, caretaker, and eventually ruler of Egypt. As I'm sure it was for Joseph, it can be hard for us to trust God and hold on to our hope of his promises for us, both present and future. Remember that God was present with Joseph even in his suffering. He is present with us. He will never leave us or forsake us. Wherever you are, whatever you're facing, you are not there by accident. God is with you in these things and has good purposes in allowing these challenges into your life and in allowing them to continue. Remember, too, that his steadfast love is always working should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. God really does love you. He loves of us so much, not only washed your sins away, acquitting you of all the charges that were levied against you, the weight and guilt of your sin, he didn't just say, okay, you can go free, but he actually invited you home. The judge adopted you and said, I want you to sit at my table and be one of my children. The love that he has for us is true and deep. Even the hardship you face is Joseph's hardship to prepare him for the glorious future he has. And likewise, he is preparing us for the eternal weight of glory that lies ahead of us. The fact that it blessed Joseph has an end in itself. Joseph was to be a part of God's fulfillment of his promise to bless Abraham so that Joseph, Abraham might. 
Joseph endured great suffering so that the nations could be saved from the coming famine, so that God's continuing plan for Israel could be realized, and so that the blessing might be showered on generations to come, including us. Christ also endured great suffering, like Joseph, leaving his throne and taking on the form of a servant, even to death, so that the nations might have life. Joseph's life, in many ways, is a picture of Christ. Likewise, he is through our lives that the nations and our neighbors see the glory of God. As we are faithful each day in the small and great things God has given us to do, we bear light to the world so that they might know the eternal living God and join with us in faith in Him. Remember those two years Joseph was forgotten? that while it was two full years that he was forgotten by the cupbearer in prison, when the day God had planned came, he was taken from prison, washed, clothed, and brought before Pharaoh, and that same day, seated at the right hand of Pharaoh as second in command of all of Egypt. Thirteen years had passed since Joseph was first given the decree that showed his brothers bowing down to him. But it was in one day
based on the things that are seen, but to trust the promises that you have given, knowing that whatever circumstances may seem to come, you are always